This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And welcome to a live edition of Purple Daily. Zolgad, Collar, Manny Hill. We are broadcasting live all day from uh, Dayblock Brewing Company, which is on the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South, just steps from U.S. Bank Stadium. Stop by all day for great craft beer, delicious pizza as you head to any of the Final Four festivities this weekend. So that's right. We are doing the show Purple Daily on location because the Final Four is here. I just came from the Auburn practice. Gentlemen, once again proving if it's free, people will go. It might be Friday morning. No one's at work. The lower bowl of U.S. Bank Stadium is basically filled with people watching a basketball practice. You went to the practice? I stopped by. In fact, I tweeted a picture. Why did you go to the practice? I've got a credential. I understand that. I've got a credential. I stopped. Explain to me why you went to the practice. I wanted to see what the floor looked like because I went to, as most folks know who saw the picture of me yawning, I went to the (laughs) Gophers Oklahoma State game, which was supposed to be the dry run, right? Yeah. And this was what, November, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so that's the dry run. But I found out, okay, the court for that uh, game was on the first baseline. It, it, basically, I was told, this is a dry run, but the building looks nothing like it's going to look for the Final Four. So I went today, and they were exactly right, because the floor now, as, as I think dictated by NCAA edict, is basically end zone to end zone at the 50. So let's just say if you are in a seat that, that is not a makeshift seat at U.S. Bank Stadium, you're going to see basketball players that sort of look like ants <laughs> because they are right in the middle of the floor and you wow. are and you are basically as far away as you can. Okay, here's what I want to know. So how much does it cost if you want to have the ant seat right now? Look it up. That's uh, a very that's, I, that, that's what I'm doing. I saw I saw something a couple days ago that not shockingly said tickets were falling very quickly. Oh. Uh, they well, were not that expensive for does, Final Four. Does not look like they are really falling quickly here by StubHub. What's the prices? Uh, because the prices are over two hundred dollars. I don't think that that's or is that, that bad. or is that falling? I think that's falling. It's probably going to fall, and it'll probably depend on what happens in the games tomorrow night. Who wins? See, I'm used to going to Twins games in September for four dollars. <laughs> okay, Matthew, that's a little bit different. So that why, is people why isn't not this caring. Four dollars. That's people not caring. Zion's not here. So my only advice is my, if, if this is your first time in this town with a final four, if you want to go, don't even broach the subject for tomorrow. The championship game, you can get cheap tickets because everybody oh, yeah. wants to leave town. Oh, really? So okay. ba- huh. it's basically the schools, the fans of, of the two schools left and the other schools are dumping their tickets off like there's no tomorrow. So mm. if you want to go to a final four game, don't bother with Saturday. Go on Monday, you will get it. And it'll probably it'll probably depend on who wins the games tomorrow too, right? If like if Texas Tech wins tomorrow, they beat Michigan State. They're probably not gonna. I mean, they're they've got a significant amount of fans here, I would think, but probably not as many as Michigan State. Right, Michigan State's pretty close. Yeah. Um, do we like playing basketball in a football stadium? Do I personally like how it looks? No, I can't stand it. I I think it looks bad, and and I understand. Uh, for TV purposes, that a, a few years back, the NCAA went to this deal of putting the raised floor now at the 50, mm-hmm. but you got no shot. In, in the Metrodome days, so the Metrodome had a Final Four in 92 and 2001, I believe, Yep. and, and Collar back then, they put the uh, floor on the third base line exactly. So if you were above the third base dugout, you could sort of see. Yeah. 
now you have, uh, unless you can afford the makeshift seats that they put on the field itself, you got no chance. Because so I, no. I mean, in a way, it sort of speaks to how big the event is, that it's really cool that it's being played in a football stadium. It's like if you want to go to a concert, they will put a regular, pretty solid artist in the XL Energy Center. But if it's Metallica or Taylor Swift, they're going to need a football stadium for that. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, the big basketball games, we'll need an arena. But, I mean, if you want a game with this level of interest, then we're going to need a football stadium. So from that perspective, speaking to just how cool the Final Four is, I think it's awesome. And it's pretty cool for us to have it here. As far as watching it inside the stadium, yeah. I've never done it. So I don't know how hard it is to actually see because, I mean, I don't mind. It's pretty hard. Yeah. I don't mind sitting really high for sporting events or concerts. I, I don't mind that. I went to XL Energy Center for Lady Gaga, and I just grabbed the cheapest tickets I could get at the last minute pretty much. And they were way up, but it was still actually kind of awesome, you know, because they have the, the presentation and the big board. That's what you, I was going to ask. Do you, you know, mind going? Like do you mind going to that stuff and watching the TV? Because if you don't now, it's absolutely fine. I saw McCartney, we were way back a couple of years ago for his concert at Target Field, but the presentation on the board is so good. Like, if you feel, I need to really yeah. see Paul, then just stay home. When but, I, but if you don't care, the presentation is really good. When I went to to Collar's Point, I went to see Kendrick Lamar at, at the XL Energy Center two years ago now, and and my seats were kind of way back and high up, but they had – huge screens like right, up yeah. on the stage so you could see i mean in the sound the sound was perfect and everything too you could hear everything and they had huge screens like on both sides of of the stage so you could see everything very clearly even if you were far and way back right and uh with the lady gaga concert the production was so crazy that she moved all over the arena so yeah. you got a pretty good view of her no matter where you sat but uh that's a little different from the basketball game i, I think that there is something really cool to being in the arena for that night because it's just so big yep. and even if your view from your couch on tv would be better uh there's a lot to be said for i mean if there's a a game-winning shot or a classic game between butler and duke that one where it came down to the gordon hayward misses by inches gordon hayward did probably look pretty small to people who are way up there but you were in the arena Correct. for one of the iconic moments in ncaa history I think that that's pretty awesome, and that allows so many people to be in there to, to get that. Now, the, the one question that keeps getting brought up sometimes is just whether it actually impacts the game because there have been some articles on, like, the, the place being so humongous, it almost goes from, like, playing in a regular gym where your eye kind of adjusts to where the hoop is and things like that to playing outdoors almost it feels like and the, the shooting background is goofy then right yeah I've seen exactly that. yeah, yeah. And, and i for a while there if I, i'm not mistaken they were playing regionals and domes as well and i think they've gone back on that at least a little bit now so that that they've gone and taken those games back to arenas as opposed to uh stadiums but final fours i think the ship has sailed i think the ship has you you yeah. are it would be it would be sort of cool if like once every five years they took a final four and said okay it's going to an iconic arena or something the problem is do you know how much money the ncaa would forfeit so so i was actually surprised that they took the the regionals which they had a few in the dome i went the year that wake forest was here and i think it was tim duncan and i think majerus brought utah here it was really good but i sat upper deck metrodome mm-hmm. and and again it was cool to be there, yeah. and you're like, that little guy is really good. Oh, that little guy's Tim Duncan, but <laughs> yeah. it's fine. Well, I remember, I think, was it was it uh, 2006 when they had the regional at the Dome and Villanova was in town? That was the Randy Foy, Alan Ray uh, trio of yes. guards that, that Jay Wright had at that time, and that was how Kevin McHale fell in love with Randy Foy because he saw him play in the regional at the Metrodome <laughs> where Florida beat them and Joe Kim Noah in Florida and all of those guys. Who among us hasn't fallen in love with Randy Foy at some point uh, in our lives? Um, if you guys want to talk a little football, we can here inside of uh, Dayblock Brewing. Um, although we'll, we'll be here all day, so there will be lots of NCAA talk. We'll talk Twins football. But uh, for Purple Daily, we've been doing What If Week. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of fun conversations. What if they had won an NFC championship? What if Sam Bradford never got hurt? Um, but yesterday's we did more of a what's in the news what if and I was reminded of another one today I was going over Mike Sando's article in ESPN where he talks to all these different executives and evaluators to get a sense for who won the offseason and, and what we're supposed to think of free agency it's, it's a great one because you get some snark sometimes oh, yeah. and you get some some questions now when it came to the Vikings, it was very vanilla. It was like, well, their defense is going to stay together, so that should still be good. And that was about it. But the Bears one really stuck out to me because it says from an evaluator to Mike Sando, don't be surprised if Cordero Patterson plays running back. Remember, he is with the Bears now. Plays running back. He could be a total sleeper in terms of how they use him. And, I mean, after... Bill Belichick found a lot of unique ways to use Cordero Patterson last year, and the Vikings had dipped their toe in that pool in 2016. I don't think to us it's a total sleeper, but it made me think, guys, what if the Vikings from day one had stuck with the Cordero Patterson plan from 2013 of pitching him the ball in the backfield, throwing him screens, using him as a playmaker, and never got away from using him in that way with screens and quick throws as opposed to trying to make him into more of a receiver, benching him for the entire 2015 season, using him on a limited basis in 2016, and then letting him go. I think it's it's a legitimate question, too. I I don't think it's hindsight whatsoever to question that. That's not a, well, Belichick found all these ways, and, and you should have done the same. I go back to when Ty Montgomery in Green Bay that season, when Cordero was still here, got used as a running back. Mm-hmm. I think everybody and their brothers like, oh, wait, hold on a second here. The guy is not adept necessarily at running his routes proficiently. He's got what clearly is athletic ability. And so you got this sort of, and, and you had, in the Packers case at that time, running backs hurt. So you got this sort of wild idea, let, let's try this. And it worked pretty well. And I think you wrote a column about it at the time, Collar, and I we did, all yep. talked about it that, you know what, this makes sense. And so, so here's where, how do we trace this? Because if I am correct on this, Cordell Patterson, the Vikings made the uh, draft pick trade, traded three draft picks to the Patriots, took Cordell Patterson late in the first round in, was it 2014? Anyway. 13. Okay, 13. Anyway, I believe Bill Musgrave was his first OC. And as flawed as Muskie might have been, Muskie had different ideas. Like, you could tell he was like, okay, this guy really can't run routes, but he's a first-round pick, so damn it, let's do something smart. Let's try something. Muskie gets blown out, which I'm fine with. But then it was as if Norv came in, and Norv said, you can't run routes, so you can't play for me. And he drew this line, which was, you're not going to play. So I don't think it is a, a revisionist history conversation to say that the Vikings... And my guess is Cordell's gone by now if he had stayed here at that time. But I don't think it's a revisionist conversation to say, why didn't you do this? You had so many capabilities. Because the guy clearly couldn't run a route. But that doesn't make him him completely useless. And what's the worst that happens? You stick him in the backfield. You get creative. It doesn't work. Okay, now he's gone. In 2013 and 14 combined, he caught 78 passes and averaged 11 yards a catch, but ran 22 times for 275 yards. Wow. <laughs> 22 carries yes. for 275 yards. Now, last year, he got a good number of touches. He wasn't one of their main players, but he still ran for over 200 yards on 40 carries, 5.4 yards per carry being used actually in the backfield. And I think about with those jet sweeps and things like that he ends up being a guy that you just have to factor for and even with little screens and short passes he only caught 21 passes for the patriots but averaged 12 yards a catch just an impact player and if you had built more of the offense around him to his skills 2015 2016 and then kept him i think he's that extra weapon that they were missing beyond adam thielen stefan diggs and with 2017 Jarius Wright stepped into a unique role where it was third down and you would just throw it to Jarius Wright. 
But I think he was even missed to some extent in 2017 because Shermer did such a great job of using the weapons that he had, getting Jarek McKinnon that huge contract with mm-hmm. dump-off passes and screens and things like that. Like, I, I think that if they hung on to Cordero Patterson, you would have seen even better production from that passing offense. And the other part of this, too, is if they had found a way to utilize Cordero more, they probably don't draft Laquan Treadwell in 2016 with their first-round pick. They probably go with something else. Uh, no, I, I disagree. I think they still do. Because, really? Because they knew that, that this guy was a complete moron when it came to his routes. Like, he was a specialist. Like, I, I don't think if you used him correctly – on the depth chart, mm-hmm. he's not put at that position. He's sort of this hybrid guy because he wouldn't have been. The 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 thing, to Collar's point, about Jarius Wright, though, Jarius Wright, first of all, I do not think was used correctly at all. I agree. But, but Jarius yeah. Wright is easy because you know what Jarius Wright was? Smart dude, accepted his role, and could execute that role. So as a coach, you love him because you basically say, okay, we're, we're sort of screwing you here, but we're going to use you on third down. And he goes out there and he catches every pass, as far as I know, ran every route perfectly. It's the guys like Patterson where these coaches are supposed to earn their keep by saying, hold on a second here, you drive me crazy. I really don't like you much. I don't know. I don't, I don't think you're smart, but what can I do? Because you have one thing. You have more God-given talent in your pinky than most of us have in our entire bodies, athletic talent. And, and I, I still have the theory that in 2016, Sam Bradford got traded here and went, why are we not giving Cordero Patterson the ball? I don't think that's so, I No, I think you're 100% so, right. I mean, if you just see him yes. run at all with yes. the football, you're like, okay, this guy needs to have it in his hands. Yep. And he's proven that over a long career. And that, that's the thing that didn't make sense to me ever was it's not like we just talked about, oh, he could be this, he could be that. Like, he showed this for two seasons in the actual NFL. It wasn't just based on college tape. Like, he proved that he could be unstoppable in the kick returns and in short passing and in running, and then you just completely excommunicate the guy for an entire season. He's effective in 2016. He says he wants to come back. They probably didn't run him enough in 2016. Remember, they're the worst running team in the league. They gave him the ball seven times in the run. That never made any sense to me either, like why they didn't use him as a runner more often because over the next two years he was used Here's uh, why a I little think. bit by Oakland, a lot by New England. Here's why. I think that you hit it, and, and we discussed this at the time. I think Cordero Patterson's career as a Viking in 16 was done, and then I think Bradford practiced with him and said, what, what are you guys doing? Right. And they were probably like, what do you mean? And he said, that guy's really good. He can't run a route, but guess what? I'm a veteran quarterback. I can get him at the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, to your running point, I think they then said, okay, Sam, you can use him as you so, as you see fit in situations, but I don't think they ever officially themselves as a coaching staff reincorporated him. Now, don't you think if they had officially fully gone all in on Cordero Patterson is a part of this offense? Not he's the centerpiece, because clearly Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are the centerpieces of the offense. But if he's just that playmaker, 2017, you get away with it. They still had a very efficient passing game with those two receivers emerging. Kyle Rudolph was very good and and very efficient in 2017. But last year, I think, is where they really missed it. Because it seemed like Kirk Cousins and Kyle Rudolph could not really get on the same page. And they didn't get many cheap yards. There were some big plays early in the season from Stephon Diggs, but then teams started to take those away. They knew, okay, they're going to throw that little quick screen to Stephon Diggs. And then the running game was so poor for a lot of it because of the offensive line, but they didn't have someone who was a game breaker on those jet sweeps. They would try them with Diggs. He, he is a playmaker with the ball, but not of Cordero Patterson's level, who can break three tackles from a linebacker and a safety and, and keep going. I think it was last year that we really saw that missed and when he became a free agent after New England, I thought maybe there's a chance they'll even bring him back because Mike Zimmer had admitted when they played New England that I wish we would have used him in some of the same ways. And I know that might be a jab at North Turner, but it's also oh, true. Oh, I think it definitely was. It's also true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it wouldn't surprise me this year, as soon as the Bears sign him, I think we all said he's going to return a kick for a touchdown or he's going to take a jet sweep 80 yards or something is happening with Cordero Patterson there. And uh, I think this is one where they got so frustrated with who he is because yeah. – 
Well, he, I think no. I think, a unique I think cat. No, Norv did. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. Norv got frustrated. Uh, I will disagree with you though on the effectiveness of Patterson in the Vikings' offense in 2018 with Cousins, and here is why. <sighs> For as boring as Sam Bradford could be, I think Sam Bradford is a pretty smart quarterback. Okay, I'll agree with that. And I think Sam said, I, I can use Cordero. Let me use him. And I think he did a nice job. I think Kirk would have said, Cordero, this is your route. Go run that route. And I think Cordero would have run the wrong route. And I think that ball would have gone right to a linebacker. I, I think it takes a quarterback who's got a lot more in-game, and, and I won't even call it smarts, I guess. I'll call it the ability to slow things down. So unless they had coached, unless the coaching staff had embraced Cordero and used him correctly with, with Cousins, I think that Kirk Cousins would have thrown the ball to Cordero and Cordero would have been two yards off the mark and all hell would have broken loose. You know, there's something to be said for that because uh, there might have been the headbutting if somebody ran a wrong route, which Cordero was known to do. But I also think that Kirk Cousins is the type of quarterback who does exactly what he's asked to do. And then when it goes wrong, that's why he pins it on other people. Because he'll be like, I was doing what I was supposed to do, but Rudolph didn't block that guy that I threw the screen pass to, and they picked it off and took it for six. Well, yeah, I get that, but you should have made that throw, or it's your throw that got picked off, and it's ultimately on you. But he's never taken that approach. It's always, I execute what I'm asked to do. So if they had drawn that up, if if Cordero Patterson's on the team and they draw it up, to throw those bubble screens or to run those jet sweeps or whatever it is, and that is exclusively his role as it was in New England for the most part, I think that he just adds to the offense and makes other teams prepare for yeah, him. If, because yes. by now, teams know how to double-team Thielen and Diggs. But you're saying... they need to prepare for another player. Right now, they don't have to. But you're saying if the coaching staff had embraced Patterson and actually incorporated him and, and had Cousins on board. Right, I'm, sa- yeah. I'm saying if you say, hey, Kirk, Sam used it, this guy, and it worked out really well, so we're going to do the same thing with you and Cordero unless the coaching staff was completely on board but if the coaching staff was completely on board with Cordero guess what that last year he would have carried the ball yeah so they never I I, I always thought that that what you said earlier is correct that it was sort of Bradford's baby and they're like okay if you can use him use him see and I think that that would have been good just like even if he is bringing how many yards did he bring to the Patriots last year 475 yards from scrimmage it's not a ton but it's extra and it makes you prepare for him and he, that, I think he scares the, opponents no i think that's the most and, important and, thing it's, it's not that it's a ton but it gives you something else so so then to your point then okay Diggs becomes a bigger threat because yeah. i gotta prepare yep. for 84 there, and is, there could have been a time in the third quarter on a third and two at made, the 35 right. yard line where with the vikings may not have converted on third down they may have been able to with Cordell Patterson somehow, some way, and that could have been the difference in them winning a game or two. And you know he's going to break some sort of big play at some point almost every year if he's getting the ball fairly consistently. There's one 50-yard run, 60-yard run for a touchdown that, that he's going to have. So uh, we'll continue to talk about this. If you got a thought on uh, Cordero Patterson, feel free to weigh in. It is, let me think of the number, 646-651-8255. Carry the... 646 a two five five six four six no six five one goes first yeah yeah yeah. six five one six five one is the area code six four six is the prefix this is what i and what happens when i don't have a five five is the suffix uh we are broadcasting live from day block brewing company on the corner of washington and 11th avenue south jonathan and i took the train we got off took a couple of blocks over and we are here so feel free to stop by for great craft beer delicious pizza as you head to the final four festivities all weekend going on we'll be right back and we've got an update on josh rosen and his trade possibilities talk about that here you're listening to purple daily runs guns balls hoops drives putts bunts dunks hunts lobs saves tees it up throws up the rock or bangs the boards you'll hear it here scorenorth.com and this portion of Purple Daily is brought to you by Robert W. Baird and Company. Manny? Sign your business up for the 29th annual Dress for LLS campaign and enjoy casual Thursdays all May long. Businesses across the state will be coming together in May to join LLS in the fight against blood cancers. For a minimum of $5, participants earn the right to dress casual or in a company theme. For more information or to register, visit scorenorth.com, keyword LLS. 
All right, back here, Purple Daily. We are broadcasting live from Dayblock Brewing Company. It is at the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South. And, uh, boys, we have a Vikings pair of signings here to announce. Oh, boy. Two AAF players will join the Vikings, Darren Smith, a safety, and Duke Thomas, a cornerback. Where'd they play? Give me more. Well, uh, they played for the uh, San Antonio Commanders is where Darren Smith played for. Uh, and also Duke Thomas, San Antonio, Antonio okay. Commanders. Now, these guys have some NFL experience. Uh, Smith was a sixth-round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, and Thomas played as an undrafted free agent for the Eagles, 49ers, and Cowboys. San Antonio Commanders, if I'm not mistaken, were the team run by Daryl Moose Johnston, right? Were they? He, he's the guy that, that had – San Antonio had the rights to Manziel when he was booted from the CFL, but they passed, and I think he went to Memphis or something. Oh, interesting. Um, the AAF – Jonathan, don't laugh at me because I know stuff about this league, okay? I mean, we're going to talk about the the Josh Rosen rumors now um, in a minute, but the AAF had some potential, and it seemed like it had most of its stuff together and turned out it was actually a fire festival. And if you don't know what I mean, watch the (laughs) Netflix documentary on fire festival. Absolutely a thousand percent do it. It's amazing. I told you this. (laughs) I didn't realize until three days ago that the main initial main money man for the AF was Reggie Fowler. How can just Google him? How do you, if you're going to start a league and Reggie comes and says, I gotcha. All you got to do is go to the internet's. (laughs) <laughs> and Google him and are like, you know, Reggie. Is that thing still around? I though, think I'm going to pass. Yeah. So how how on earth they went down this path with that guy, it, it is the least surprising thing that, that, of course, he, in the end, didn't have the correct cash. And then we went to um, uh, the, the guy that owns the Carolina Hurricanes, what, Tom Dundon. And he had the cash, but he basically bleeped him over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you know what? It is too bad in this sense. Beyond these these leagues, these pro football leagues that start and and are essentially, at least at first, novelty acts, it would be nice to get a developmental league. I agree. It really would be. And, and I know pe- people all say, oh, it's college football, but I'm talking about a real developmental league where you can send people to work on their craft. And, and also, I mean, there's just so many um, guys who – are on the fringe looking for a chance to prove that they can play. And a lot of times in training camp, you get third team reps, you get fourth quarter opportunities every once in a while, fourth preseason game, they've already decided the roster. Every so often you end up with a Terrell Davis story where someone's fourth on the depth chart and then they make a great special teams tackle and turn into one of the best running backs ever. But most of the time that doesn't work out. And so, you know, these guys might have talent there might be good players there but they just didn't get the opportunities to um you know show that they could do it and by the way get excited because pro football focus tweeted out that the vikings are signing the best safety from the aaf in darren smith so leave it to zim leave it to zim (laughs) if he's gonna find a star from the aaf from the alliance it's gonna be a defensive back But in all honesty it wouldn't be that surprising if we found some guys from the aaf became good players just because they got opportunities to show that they could actually play when they weren't really getting those when it came to training camp and that's why it is a good idea to have a developmental league but they can't expect it to compete in any way i mean question for you i don't think these could be played in big college stadiums and have these big rosters and big coaching staffs what's your theory on this one because this is the one the one thing about their initial plan that still confounds me why do you think that their initial plan was a three-year runway and then they were going to go to the national football league and basically say can we have your worst quarterbacks can we have why wouldn't you have approached them from day one and gone to goodell and said here's what we're thinking it would make perfect sense if we could work this out where where kyle Sloter could be the starting quarterback for san diego why do you think because Dundon evidently then said, bleep this, and tried to expedite the whole thing, and immediately said to the National Football League, give me your players and I can use them. And, and they're like, no, no, no. But why would you need a three-year buildup? Why wouldn't you go right away and say, from day one, we're not asking for 80 players. 
But we're asking for X amount of practice squad guys who, right. by the way, would clearly, and I know they might get hurt, but they would clearly benefit. You, mm-hmm. You've seen those guys a thousand times, Matthew. Yep. Yep. Why do you think they did that? I don't um, get it. You know, my guess is that the NFL does not want this it, 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 in terms of paying for it and footing the bill. Because if you're a developmental league, what you're going to want is guys that are on contracts from the NFL teams and for those NFL teams to suggest they go play in a league like the AAF. So therefore, if you're the league, you don't have to pay the salaries of those players or maybe you pay them only X amount, but they're getting their salary from the NFL team. And you also want that backing uh, in terms of financially to make sure that you stay afloat. But since the NFL doesn't want to support any other league Mm -hmm. that they could view as competition in some way, they're kind of saying, A, why do we want to light our money on fire? Would be for one, because these leagues have never made money. And B, why would we want to support someone that isn't put together by us and run by us? Why would we want to support a league run by other people, even if it is people who used to be in the NFL? I could see why the league, uh, the NFL would say, well, well look, look, I mean, why should we burn our money? Because we, no one is paying to see the best safety in the AAF or whatever the the third fourth best safety there's always another guy coming and the stars are who runs this league and you know for coaches they love the development but why why should this really matter to us why would why should we hurt our bottom line to make sure that there's development for practice squad players who don't have much of a chance to begin with I've got one position group as the answer to that entire mantra quarterbacks because you people are so desperate to develop quarterbacks. And by the way, for the most part, you don't do a good job. It's the toughest position in sports. I completely get that. But if you look at, at the amount, Kyle Slaughter, you see him in practice. He gets no reps. He might, you know what, he might be good. I have no clue. But at the rate they're going, you're never going to find out. Well, my counter to that would be that if you look at the NFL right now, mm-hmm. let's look at the standings here, pull up every team on ESPN. How many teams have either their franchise quarterback or someone who has been their franchise quarterback, and that might change? I'm going to say about 26, right? Like, how many teams can you go through and tell me are do not have their quarterback or are not going to draft it this year to have their franchise But guy? a lot of them are like, guessing that that's the guy. Well, right, but, but how much does Kyle Sloter really matter? Like, what are the odds that there's one guy... I mean, it's even pretty low that there would even be one just, guy who turns into an NFL starter that you send to that league. So if you're general managers, if you're front office, if you're owners, you, and you're trying to be sold on this, you're like, wait, so I'm supposed to invest all this money on the off chance that one third-string well, quarterback develops into a starter? And I, I get that greed becomes a huge issue here, but nonetheless, I think if you take a step back for one second, and we're talking about a league that plays in the springtime, we're talking about a league that if, if the National Football League helped control it, basic could help the cause because there'd be games there'd be people excited let's let's say you gave them if there's affiliations i just think it could be done and and it's too bad that that there's so much greed involved here and the billions and billions of dollars this league makes it can't say for a second hold on a second here develop small developmental league that's going to help guys out that's going to to help discover guys we deem that to be worth quashing because we're that greedy, which they are, but it's just too bad. From the perspective of guys and great stories, I love these leagues, and I would love to see one succeed and make money and have lots of AAF players turn themselves into NFL players. And you know, Judd, that I covered the minor leagues for a very long time, yeah, and I, know you did. I just have an affinity for the minor leagues and you know some of the things that players go through to make it to the very top um is is really incredible and, and as a journalist you love those stories and you want to root for those guys that these two guys they sign i hope one of them becomes a great starting quarter or a, a starting a safety or cornerback how cool would that be if the vikings found their guy and, and you know he becomes a, a starter and he, and he gets paid and all those things what a great story from the perspective of the owners looking at it as why do we need this i have a very very tough time making that case so if you're the aaf maybe you thought okay all right you guys don't want this but we'll put it together and it'll be so legit and we'll have all these people involved and if we have all these big names involved then we can convince the nfl but if you're the owners you go sorry man not lighting money on fire that's not what we do here and i'm so rich i just don't care i mean you're probably right it's just sad 
Yeah, I mean, but if, if you're out for every dime as an NFL owner, which I believe they are, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't see, I just don't see the benefit on the other end of it. For if you're, if you're the Wilfs, do you go, okay, are we going to put millions of dollars into a thing that might develop our third string quarterback who's like 25? Yeah. I mean, like, what are the odds of that even happening? Well, they're not great, but you're you're going to hit, hit on some, and and I just think that the template could could be there if they wanted it to be but i think what you're saying is they don't want that and i i it's impossible for me to disagree i could say that's too bad but i think ultimately you're right they're they're just going to say we're lining our pockets we don't care we're going to we're going to continue to try and quash every one of these that we possibly can and they've done this one and their next goal i'm sure will be to end the xfl as as soon as they can so the way that i might do it would be if I was trying to come up with some developmental process would be anybody who is on a practice squad currently or a future contract that was on a practice squad or is unsigned under the age of 24. Okay. And those guys are eligible to play in a six team type of league that plays at teams, practice facilities at four or five different practice facilities that have, 2,000 seats or whatever, like training camp like seating. Eden, yeah. It, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So TCO Performance Center. So the Vikings have a team, but it's made up of like four or five different teams, young players and a few free agents. That's a great idea. People could show up and watch. They cannot show up and watch. TV would show it. TV like would cable, show Yep, cable you can watch it. You can watch it online. Maybe you have some broadcasters call it. And, and that's your league. And all the scouts can go and they evaluate these players and you get reps and you have the coaches – you know, maybe a couple of coaches, younger coaches, volunteer to be the head coach. Like uh, the Vikings have a guy that they just moved up to a wide receivers coach or wide receiver, assistant coach, yeah. uh, you know, somebody like that. Yeah. Like that guy trying to rise up the ranks. So he coaches six games in this. I think you have to strip it that far down okay. to actually work to be developmental. Then I love it. Okay. But That's if you're fine. talking about we're going to put it well, you, in a yes. stadium that costs $250,000 yes. to rent out, you're going to lose I money. Think, I think the problem is that, that, that leagues like the Alliance start under the assumption that they, because they get a TV deal pretty quickly, okay, we, we can play in, in the Dome in San Antonio. We can play in San Diego, the big stadium. And to turn the lights on at those places costs a, a <laughs> ton. So, amazing. yes, I have... Your idea is great. I just, at some point in time, I would like to see them give the ability to these guys who don't get reps, who don't play, and some of them develop. But guess what? Some of them sure don't. And if you played a schedule of games at TCO and gave these guys a chance, you would be giving yourself a feeder system that would have a chance to work. But I get your point. The idea of going into huge stadiums and turning on the lights and trying to sell concessions becomes damn near impossible. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll get the latest on Josh Rosen when we come back. You're listening to Purple Daily. We're broadcasting live from Day Block Brewing Company on the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South. We're just a short uh, couple of steps around the corner from U.S. Bank Stadium, so stop by. You can get great craft beer. Right now, Jonathan is uh, throwing down some pizza, so that looks pretty good from over None here. None for me, thanks, Jonathan. You just eat all that yourself. Oh, yeah, sure, Judd. Mm-hmm. Sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. uh, so as you head down to the Final Four festivities today, make sure to stop by and say hello. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. M-U-R. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com. Okay. We are back here broadcasting live from Dayblock Brewing Company on the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South at downtown Minneapolis. Feel free to stop by and say hello as you get some lunch on your way to the final four festivities this weekend. Uh, Adam Schefter did not want to uh, have people retweeting an old tweet of his to try and own him online. So he was very careful in the way that he phrased his report this morning. <laughs> that, my friend, is, is being sensitive. Very careful. Mm-hmm. He says, the Arizona Cardinals have still not engaged in active trade discussions to date okay. on Josh Rosen. Other teams have asked about him, but to date... He writes, the Cardinals have not showing a willness, shown a willingness to trade him. And then he writes again, to date. 
He does not want you going back and saying, oh. you got it wrong, Schefter. You know what, yeah, though? That, that's a little on the sensitive side. Up, but dude. Um, now, if they are not actually making the phone calls yet, uh, that wouldn't shock me because, I mean, uh, the draft isn't for another couple of weeks. There's no reason to, You don't right? have to trade him until draft night. But do you think, Judd, that all of this talk of Kyler Murray going number one is actually just them trying to drum up interest for teams like the Oakland Raiders or whoever else is behind him to uh, trade up to get Kyler Murray? I don't think the powers that be at the Arizona Cardinals, for the most part, are smart enough to actually pull that off. So, no. I think Kingsbury loves Kyler Murray, and I think that's completely legit. So, no, I don't think that this is some type of, of elaborate game based on the fact that uh, Kingsbury talked highly of Murray back when he was still a college coach. I think this is based on a legitimate plan to take Kyler Murray first. But that being said, they don't need to make calls on trading Rosen until essentially the week of the draft, probably. So they won't. But, uh, no, I think I think ultimately Rosen gets traded and Murray gets picked by Arizona. Now, uh, with with the Rosen thing, I was reading a film piece by Doug Farrar of USA Today, and he's worked for a bunch of different outlets, and he's always really on point with these film pieces. I, I watched one um, that made a lot of great points last year about Kirk Cousins before the Vikings signed him, before he even knew the Vikings were signing him, about some of the strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I, from covering every game, I think Doug was right on and has been most of the time for his career. And with Rosen, he was making points about just the arm talent that's there and how his um, supporting cast and his offensive design and everything just sabotaged him in year one. And we've seen that happen a number of different times because usually if you're drafted high, you go to a bad team. And Arizona was not only bad enough to draft him, but they were descending. Like their their roster well, we was saw, going down the we wrong saw way. It. Yeah, we saw it. We saw it. Yes, their it was, offense was abysmal. It was ugly. Yeah, and their I offensive felt bad line was terrible, and they weren't using David Johnson properly, and yes. they had no receivers aside from Larry Fitz. So he was in a really bad spot, Josh Rosen. And what Doug argues is really Arizona could draft Kyler Murray because he's a little bit better of a prospect than Josh Rosen, but if they hang on to him and trade away the first-round pick to move back, take another first-round pick, uh, picks in the second round, for as much as they need on their roster to be a really competitive team, that might not be a bad idea. So I could actually see that happening. I could if the head coach wasn't who the head coach is. And if right now this league was not skewing towards, my God, he might be the next Pat Mahomes, right? Yeah. So yeah, what you said and what Doug writes makes perfect sense. But I think... We, we give far too, too many teams in this league far too much credit for being intelligent when they are often one thing, reactionary. So I think what Kingsbury, Kingsbury was, was brought on board. Why? Because he's the next McVay. You're the next McVay. And to be th that guy, he's going to want his quarterback. And I think he sees Murray as being from the blueprint of, of what he probably wants at QB. So Farrar's right. But I think the Cardinals are reacting to the current climate in this league, which is that guy's our quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I also wonder about whether with Kyler Murray, um, a part of it was Cliff Kingsbury's plan. You know, I mean, if you came in as Cliff Kingsbury and you said, look, here's the idea. Here's why you should make me head coach. Because I know Kyler Murray. Yeah. And I know how to make the most out of Kyler Murray. And look, if we trade Rosen, we're going to get probably a first-round pick or a, a second-round pick that we can use this year to bolster this uh, the roster. But I know if we have this dynamic of a player, I can turn him into a star. And maybe that would sell ownership and their front office on, okay, this is why we need to give someone who's inexperienced and didn't have a great college record the job because he is selling that as his plan as opposed to someone who came in and sold a less sexy plan like, I want to draft defense or something, right? You yes, know, I mean, yes. like I, I could see from it was always pinned with Mike Zimmer as his personality for why he didn't uh, get you know jobs for a long time. But I think part of it, too, was if you come in and say we want to win defense, a lot of owners are just not wowed by that. And that makes me think that Kyler Murray still be the would be the number one pick. It's just. I think from the perspective of how can you build a really successful team there, 
to bail on someone after a bad year with that situation when he's as talented as Josh Rosen. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as special as Kyler Murray, but I also think that there is a bust factor to Kyler Murray because of his size. But they're not going to allow for as that. As opposed to right, but, but Josh being, Rosen, who I think will be a good quarterback. You're being rational. <laughs> this is the Arizona Cardinals. How many times? Kingsbury was fired from his job. The job that he had before he took this job, which he didn't do, was the OC at USC, right? Yeah. Offensive coordinator. So so how many times do you think when the GM, Kime, I, I think it's Steve Kime, and the Bidwells sat down with Cliff Kingsbury, how many times do you guys think the name Sean McVay was brought up? <laughs> and can you do what Sean did? And Sean, and, and so to go to your Kyler Murray point, I think he's probably saying, yeah, I can definitely do do it, yeah. and Kyler Murray's my guy, and here's why. And because if you think about it, is it really logical if if this league was not going in the direction that it shifted now, and, and McVeigh was not the star coach of this league? Is it really logical to hire a guy who just got fired from his college job and is now coordinator, even if it's at USC? Does any of this really make sense? What's interesting about the McVeigh thing, though, too, is. When you look at what McVay has done with the McVay is doing this with the Rams with a quarterback that he didn't draft. Mm-hmm. So you would think you would think Kingsbury would come in with the same mentality like, hey, I didn't I didn't draft Josh Rosen, but I like him it's and not, I can I can I can turn him into no, something with this offense. No, because here's the problem. Once again, there are some very smart teams in this league. There are some very dumb ones. And what's happening right now is the perfect storm morphing together of what McVay's doing and what Pat Mahomes is doing. And so if you're Kingsbury, you're saying, look at Kansas City. Look at what they did. Look at who they got. I can do that with this guy. So, so McVay is the blueprint of the great young mind, but Mahomes is the quarterback of the future. Now, we're forgetting the fact that Pat Mahomes is a freak yeah. He's a you know unbelievable quarterback, but we're but what we're hearing is I could do that with him, and that's where a team like the Cardinals, which is not especially well run, is like, oh, you can do all that? That's great. We'll hire you, despite the fact you got fired from the college ranks and you <laughs> yeah. were a yeah. you were an assistant coach somewhere. Yeah, else. and and a big part of this is, um, you know, is he going to be able to lead a whole team? Like uh, you know, I mean, Kyler Murray can come in and be as talented as he wants to be, and he can run a, a very sexy offense, but if they don't fill around with the playmakers that the Rams are able to get, and if they don't get someone like uh, Andrew Whitworth not only to protect the backside of uh, your quarterback, but also to be the type of leader that you have there for a young coach where Sean McVay handed him the reins in a lot of ways. I mean, if – you know, if you don't have those other things, you're not going to be able to copy the, quote, Rams model. Even if Kyler Murray is really good, your your ceiling is only so high if you don't have those other elements. And I think just when someone is young and smart about offense, calling them Sean McVay. Well, one thing that Sage Rosenfels, who knows Sean McVay and hasn't been hired yet for Why a coaching position, a I don't know. But, but Sage always talks about, like, you know, it's more to it than just – you know Sean McVay and no offense. There are a lot of people that know Sean McVay and no offense, but his leadership ability and the front office's ability to find all those free agents and, and bring in people while Goff was on a rookie contract, if Arizona can't do the same thing, then they're not going to be able to copy that model. And you look at what the Rams have, too, on, on defense, Wade Phillips. Right, exactly. You know, who's going to exactly. be a Wade Phillips for Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona? Did they hire someone? I don't know. I don't know who their, I don't know who their coordinator up. or who I'm any sure of the assistants are. Because, because I think that's a really good point um, when it comes to him bringing in Wade Phillips on the defense. You have someone proven and mm-hmm. legit. And, He's head coach defense. And, and right, and he right he only runs that defense where McVay only runs that offense. Correct. And I think that uh, that's been a huge help too. So if you don't follow a lot of the things that uh, McVay did to a T, it's not going to work the same way. They hired Vance Joseph, who's a pretty good defensive coordinator. Okay. Sure. But, uh, you know, if I were them, I, I mean, it really depends on the offer. You've got to decide how much of an upgrade you really think Kyler Murray is from Josh Rosen as a prospect, which means evaluating his last season, but also what he did in college, uh, because I think that still matters. Usually once they get to the NFL, that doesn't matter. But for him, it was such a crazy bad team that you still have to look at his raw skills. And then you have to decide, well, 
you know, if the Raiders are going to give us their two first-round picks, so they're going to move from four to one, they're going to give us another one and a couple of twos just to move up from four to one, and then we get, I don't know, Nick Bosa or something like, whoa, you're talking about a huge, huge haul. Oh, that's logic. Just, just yeah, to that's move logic. up. And yes. if it, now if you're the Bills trading out of the Pat Mahomes pick, yeah, maybe that wasn't a great idea because there's a really good <laughs> quarterback prospect there. But you already have a really good quarterback prospect in Josh Rosen. So I'll be interested to see. Initially, I thought, wow, they're just going to bail on Rosen to the first bidder who comes through and, and kind of move on from him and just draft Kyler Murray. Now I think that it's possible they keep him. And also the Vikings sort Rosen, of you mean? end up. Yeah, Rosen. Okay. And, and I also think the Vikings end up out of this conversation because there will be so many teams that are interested that when well, we heard that it was going to be a third-round pick, I just I don't think that's going to come to fruition. I think if they do trade Rosen, they're probably getting that late first from Oakland, or, or, they're, or they're getting a second. There are a couple teams with second-round picks, multiple second-round picks. I so tell you what, though, I'm still, I don't I don't think it's possible for I'm the Vikings still to get them. Super intrigued. Oh, if, me too. If I'm yeah. the Vikings, I me am too. super intrigued here be. because that gives you something. You, ha- you have to be, because it, it was a three-year contract, and one year of that contract is now done. If you're the Vikings, you have to be prepared for this to blow up. Like, you have to be prepared for the Cousins thing just not to work. What's your backup plan going to be? And if this doesn't work, that'd be an intriguing intriguing uh, card to turn to. They won't do it, but it'd be fun. All right, Judd, Manny, Purple Daily. If you missed any of the show, go on to uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Type in Score North Vikings. We got baseball talk is coming up next. I see Rami and Derek, so I'm assuming that they're the ones that will be doing the baseball talk. Uh, we are broadcasting all day today at the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South at Day Block Brewing. And I see Jonathan, his... This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands, like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.